and welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about the quaint and ruthless world of 90s technology so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Ruthless.com by Tom Clancy and Martin Greenberg. Joining us to discuss this ghost-written crypto-techno-thriller is Patrick Webb, professional tech person and crypto hippie. Hi, Patrick. Hello. It's nice to be here. <laughs> we're, we're glad you're here and not trapped in some mysterious uh, submarine and or underground technology vault. No, in fact, uh, thankfully I just got off a few airplanes which weren't crashed by irresponsible actions of the pilots. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> um, so, Foreshadowing? Hmm. <laughs> right at the top, I want to talk about why, of all of Tom Clancy's books, we picked uh, this one. And the reason is 100% that the title Ruthless.com was so funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, you know, Patrick mentioned that he'd read a lot of Tom Clancy and he'd be interested in discussing some kind of you know, thriller type book on the podcast. And that's something that Kate and I don't have a lot of expertise in. So we were like, yeah, we should do that. And then I I asked Patrick for suggestions and he was like, no, you should pick. And I was like, okay. So I searched the catalog for Tom Clancy and I was just like reading through this list of books and I was like, oh, ruthless.com. That is the one. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's probably not, uh, I mean, it's, I hope it's not the best representation of Tom Clancy for for a lot of reasons. It's not it's not even <laughs> close to the best representation of Tom Clancy, partly because Tom Clancy had very little to write this with this book. Yeah, so um this is the second book in a series and the series is based on a video game and then so there's a couple of things going on here. Uh friend of the show Jenny wrote when she heard we were doing Tom Clancy she wanted to let us know that apparently Tom Clancy's books are co-written is because uh, his wife's divorce lawyer was so good that she gets a cut of all of his future book earnings. But if he co-wrote it, then uh, it didn't count towards that. So it's not co-written in the sense of like a James Patterson book where it says like James Patterson and Chris Grabenstein, but you know James Patterson didn't actually write it. He just put his name on it. These, I guess, mostly Tom Clancy just legit writes it all and then gets somebody else's name on the cover for that reason. But this book has a third ghostwriter who's not on the cover, <laughs> but is thanked inside. Um, so it's, yeah, the series was created by Tom Clancy and Martin Greenberg, but then the book was written by Jerome Priestler. Now, I think part of this, too, is that Tom Clancy also has a whole media empire that he's built up that includes board games and video games, movie rights, as well as all of his novels. So he made his name into a company. And I think this is just one of the various novels that people write books for the Tom Clancy name, where Tom died in 2013 and books are still written under his name. Yeah. Well, and OK, and this one's from 1998. So that was yep. a time when Ruthless.com probably sounded like a very scary title. Spoiler alert, guys. Ruthless.com does not actually appear in this book, or there is no reference to it. Like, literally, I imagine they were sitting around trying to come up with a title, and they were like, oh, well, all the guys in this book, it's like, you know, how the business world is so ruthless. 
Well, we got to make it techy. Yeah, dot com, ruthless.com. Let's go with that. Like, it, well, in no place is it at all. Yeah. No, and it's not even really a web company. And then also, the game that it's based on is the game was called ruthless.com. And I read the description of the game, and it sounds basically like Risk, but like with businesses instead of countries. Um,. But I, the late 90s were a time when it did sound kind of cool to just add .com to everything. I believe that is when the expression the bomb.com came into, <laughs> into play. Um, so at the time, it probably didn't seem quite so ridiculous to just like, oh yeah, they're super ruthless. Ruthless.com. Yeah, it, <laughs> it was the uh, rising years of the tech bubble, and it was going to be two more years until everything burst and pets.com was going to be a huge crash yeah ruthless.com never made it off the ground i don't even think there's a website for that there's not there's not it's for sale and And we've we've considered we've talked about buying it (laughs) yeah i you had to like fill out a form to get a price quote for how much it is and i didn't want to put in my email address but we should look into it because if it's less than like twenty dollars we should get it I 100% agree. I was talking about this with Becca on our drive, either to or from the wedding we were at last weekend, and she said that it was stupid, and I still hold that it would be hilarious. So take that, Becca. (laughs) I mean, sure, it would be stupid, but so is, like, everything that I do for fun. So. (laughs) So is pretty much everything associated with this podcast. Yeah. So why don't you just go to stupid.com, Becca? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> We're off to a great start. <laughs> so hard. <laughs> um, also... You guys I- are so ruthless.com. <laughs> also, I tried to pull up ruthless.com at work, and it got blocked by our filter, and it said forbidden category pornography. So, so, but if you look at it on a non-filtered computer, it just comes up as for sale. So I wonder if it used to be pornography and then they let that lapse and now it's nothing. But like, what kind of porn was on Ruthless.com? Don't answer. But it's for sale by domain name sales, which I am 100% positive has various porn name sites for sale for your enjoyment. Go on there now. Buy yourself a saucy website, but not ruthless.com. That one's ours. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, you can't have ruthless.com and you can't have Julia the Werewolves. That's ours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So that's uh, that's our little bit of intro about Tom Clancy and and all of this business. So, so yeah, this is book two of a series. And I, I knew that when we started, and I figured, we've done that before, kind of jumped into series, and you can kind of, you know, usually with stuff like this, you can kind of pick it up as you go along. And I could tell, like, they would make references to, like, what happened in Russia and Politica, which that was the name of book one, was Politica, with a K. Side note, I have the Politica board game, and it is not terribly good. <laughs> I'm shocked, given how thrilling Ruthless.com sounds like as a computer game. (laughs) Yeah, it missed a lot of beats. Uh, Okay. 
the so the interesting thing that I found about this being a series, the second book in a series, is I guess due to my general like mental associations with Tom Clancy. I assumed that the star of this book series was going to be like one of the security guys or no, like me too. the techno spy guy. I 100% thought that Max Blackburn was the hero of the series until, spoiler, he dies a few chapters in and like stays dead. And I was like, ooh, I guess he is not the hero of this. Not, um, and not turned, even halfway through the book before he's just off. Yeah. And at first I was like, oh, well, he can't die because he's the hero. And then he's, like, really, really dead. And I was like, oh, okay. So I looked, and the the protagonist of this series, which is called the Power Play series, is Roger Gordian, which is... Nickname Gord. Yeah, nickname Gord, a G-O-R-D, which is a <laughs> stupid name, first of all. And then second of all, he's, like, the CEO of a tech company who also maybe is a... Vietnam veteran and also a pilot but it's just like like a strange choice for the hero yeah. of your thriller to be a computer CEO like he's basically Plus, like Bill Gates like imagine a thriller about Bill Gates despite the fact that he is possibly a Vietnam vet and a pilot it's not like he's like, oh, like an Indiana Jones sort of thing where it's like he's a professor, but, you know, then he puts on his, you know, crazy, he gets his whip in his hat and he's also like a superhero archaeologist. Like, he he doesn't do any exciting things. He mostly just, like, negotiates stock prices and mergers and things. But, so but much like, like a, yeah, a big CEO, he has people that do things for him. And we get a taste of his growing up in childhood, and it's remarkably unsympathetic. He's yeah. a wealthy person that comes <laughs> into money and just has this giant uh, multinational corporation. It's, well, yeah, his childhood we'll flashback... His it's just, yeah. Yeah, so he, he, built, he built a treehouse and some older kids destroyed it. And so that is supposed to be a character moment to reveal that he doesn't like bullies and, you know, he'll stand up for what's right in his business. But also, it is kind of like a great metaphor for capitalism because the treehouse was built because his friend stole a bunch of lumber from his dad's uh, his dad's hardware store. <laughs> so that is like his business was come. It came out of stolen wealth from the older generation, and yet he thinks of himself as having pulled himself up to that treehouse by his bootstraps. But he didn't. <laughs> but he oh, doesn't. Bootstraps, yeah. He does not, in fact, reflect on the irony of that. It's just casually mentioned that that's where the lumber no. came from. <laughs> it's, it's in his mind. It's purely I built a treehouse and those kids wrecked it, and they're assholes. Yeah. And and now he's a billionaire. So why why do I feel bad for you, guy? I don't. Yeah, you could have the nicest treehouse in the world. Yep. Yeah. So I, right off the bat, I'm just going to say that I know that normally I tend to lead the plot of the books when we record this bit, but I, like, had a really hard time understanding anything that was what was happening. So if anyone listening gets confused, it's not you, it's the book it's garbage the book jumps around so much and there's so many characters and so many like people who are just dropped in on and then left and then sometimes never seen again 
Um, there's a lot of people who have sort of similar purposes. So you're looking in on like this businessman and this businessman, and then this like vaguely sh shadowy Asian pirate, and then this other vaguely shadowy Asian pirate. But that one, like. <sighs> Plus, a big part of it for me was that I still do not understand the general conceit of the book. The plot of the book hinges on the fact that there's some legislation about some sort of software that Gordian has that he wants to be proprietary, I think, but they're going to sign legislation that says that it doesn't have to be, and his business rival wants that to happen for reasons that I don't understand, and people are being murdered in, like, countries all over the world trying to do something with this knowledge, and then there's a submarine. So this book assumes so many things about technology. And even from the perspective of, of when it was written in 1998, there was a lot of information that was just not looked for in terms of how cryptography works and how business works and how law enforcement works in Singapore. I'm <laughs> shocked that he couldn't find a person in Singapore to call and ask, hi, how do your police work? Or maybe just go to Singapore.com. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get that Wikipedia wasn't a thing yet, but encyclopedias were, and you could look up and discover that Singapore is not a struggling third world country like it is portrayed yeah. in this book. <laughs> They're a commercial and economic titan <laughs> and have been so for a very long time. Um, so the plot... Okay, I, let me take a stab at this, but there was a lot. Yeah, I didn't totally follow. And also, anytime it got too techno babbly, which was a lot, I tended to just skim over it because I don't care. But that is probably like tag me in. I'll that's probably it. like a third of the book is just like and this algorithm, like blah blah blah. So they they don't even talk about algorithms or anything technologically oriented. It's all Wall Street. I also just started uh, watching season two of Silicon Valley, so I probably have merged those in my head. Those guys do talk about algorithms a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they talk about CD-ROMs. They talk about fingerprints. Whatever. So Gordian's company is called Uplink, and nobody ever makes a what's Uplink joke, which I think they should have. Uh, and then the rival company... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for laughing 30 seconds later <laughs> at the joke that I did not fully bother to formulate because I knew you would get there. <laughs> um, so he runs Uplink, and then the rival company is run by. Oh, wait, what's his name? It's not Michael Kane, but I kept misremembering it as Michael Kane. Marcus Kane. Marcus, Marcus Kane. Kane. <laughs> uh, but if, in the movie, he's probably played by Michael Kane. Uh, anyway, his company is called Monolith. Oh, don't do that to Michael Caine. <laughs> I mean, he could, I'm sure it would pay well. <laughs> so, uh, his company is called Monolith, so you know they're evil, because, you know, Monolith. And they're the ones who are lobbying to get the U.S. government to pass some, uh, legislature to make cryptography rules less strict. So it would be easier for people to hack into and get your, get different, whatever, data that is hackable. 
and Gordian and Uplink want to keep things more secure. And so it comes... Oh, no, actually. What? It's the opposite of that. No, what? I remember this point being made in the novel about... Yes, so they made the point not that if they were able to export the cryptography software that they would be able to hack into things, although that does happen at the end of the book, but that they're concerned that the bad guys would then be able to encrypt all of their data and they wouldn't be able to read their mail anymore. What? Really? (laughs) (laughs) That, That was the setup at the start of the book, and then at the end of the book, they don't do that at all. Cause what it, okay, because what it turns out is that Monolith is working... Wait, does Monolith straight up want to kill the president? Or are they working with somebody who wants to? They want to hack the submarine. And so I thought they were trying to make it yes. easier to hack the submarine. <laughs> um. <laughs> They wanted no, to... because everything that they do to hack the submarine has nothing to do with the legislation being signed. This is the stupidest thing. <laughs> the treaty's not the treaty's not final, this. and everything they do to hack the submarine is done before any cryptography software is sold overseas. It's not even a part of their so plot. The, so the submarine is unrelated. <laughs> my god yes it's it's not even part of the story okay okay um side note we occasionally get visits from the president who is very upset that everyone is way more interested in this cryptography legislation that that he's going to sign than they are in the submarine and he's like the submarine's way cooler what is he even doing with the submarine is it a new submarine or yeah, it's a fancy new submarine, and it doesn't make any sense that he would be signing a treaty on a submarine, of all things. Right. Of yeah, all it's like things. A press conference that they're having on the... It's, uh, on a submarine. <laughs> and nobody is excited about the submarine. They're all more interested in Roger Gordian and what's up, Link. Right. So this is where Tom Clancy's uh, lack of presence really shines through is Tom Clancy's a huge military nerd and does incredibly detailed research into uh, the various technological and military aspects of his books. You can see that in Rainbow Six and Red Storm Rising. He does these things very well. And here, there's none of that because the president's signing something on a submarine, which the military would never let anybody onto. Not to mention... It's a submarine, which is like having your treaty signed in a broom closet. Right. Yeah, it's it's a very silly thing to have being done. And yet, here we are. Okay, so, th- so that's part of it, but apparently not related. And then Monolith is also responsible for... Um, like pirates taking a ship and kidnapping various people in Asia for why? I don't know. <laughs> like, they they kidnap Max Blackburn, who I thought was the protagonist of the series, and he works for... Uh, he works for... He works for Uplink? Yeah. Yeah, he works yeah. for Uplink. And, they're and like, she works for Monolith. Yeah, he works... He works... I, I think 
that they caught wind that Max was snooping around, so they went to go kidnap him, and then everything kind of went south. I got the impression that they knew that he had evidence about how shady Marcus Kane was, but they didn't, I think at that point, know that he got the evidence from Kristen. Yeah. Because they were like clearly much more interested in him than her. S- or something. Yeah. I, I think you're on the right track. So, yeah. But, uh, Max Blackburn is gross, by the way. And we he has been dating this girl named Kristen Chu, who, from her point of view, we see that she's totally in love with Max and thinks, you know, he's great. And he's like, oh, she's hot, but I'm just using her. And, like, I feel a little bit bad because I can tell that she loves me, but I just can't be tied down and I just need spy info. And so, you know, she's been giving him info about her company, but then they're, like, walking down the street and he can tell that he's about to be kidnapped. So he does warn her and she gets to run away to be with her sister. And he's being tortured by... Uh, shadowy criminals who are related, being paid by Monolith. And for some reason, they shoot him up with heroin, which seems like an expensive torture method, if you really, if really all you want is to find out where he's getting his information. Well, they then proceed to beat the crap out of him, which if he's on heroin at the time, he's not really gonna feel, I would presume. Right, like, I'm, I don't support the use of torture, but it seems like if you're gonna do it, maybe be better at it? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They're... But anyway, then they get, then they fuck up and accidentally kill him. Yeah, so I have to get rid of his body, and it takes them, like, three chapters to come up with throw him in the sea. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, three chapters and, like, help from another shady criminal organization. <laughs> They hire an entire freighter to haul him out into the ocean. They have boats. Tie some cinder blocks to his ankles, guys. <laughs> this is not rocket science. Right. Like, it seems like it's their first day at being a shadowy criminal. <laughs> <laughs> like, get it together, oh you guys. <laughs> it really is amateur hour. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the U.S., there's like 55 chapters of people sitting around boardroom tables discussing the options because Monolith, the Marcus Kane from Monolith, uh, keeps like giving all of these speeches and he's endorsing the president's legislation for this encryption software. And so the stock of Uplink is tanking and he's also secretly trying to buy up shares of Uplink so that he can take it over for reasons, I I guess, just regular competition reasons? It it seems like a ruthless takeover of one corporation by another. (laughs) Ruthless.com. I'm going to try to use Ruthless as much as I can. Dot com. Uh, so yeah, that's to, all make, to make up for the fact that the book itself does not use it, despite it being <laughs> the title of the book. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so that's all going on in the United States while this is happening. And there's just lots of scenes of, like, people being worried and, like, press conferences happening where Kane makes Gordian look really dumb and all sorts of... Gordian has a lot of conversations with, like, his wife and other people about how masculine he is and what kind of car he drives and how he's such a good CEO and all this other shit. Yeah, people fucking love this guy. Like, Max Blackburn, the the corporate secret agent, I guess, he, like, on his first date with Kristen, he is like, uh, Roger Gordian is a great man and I would die for him. And, <laughs> and everyone, everyone who works with him has this sentiment of, like, oh, yeah, he is a saint, he's the best, like, you couldn't ask for, like, a better human being than Roger Gordian. Like, imagine any CEO of a business that you would, like, have that kind of devotion to. I mean, like, I don't know, if you think about Steve Jobs, he had kind of, like, a cult where people, like, you know, appreciated the work that he did, but but everybody kind of thought he was a jerk. Yeah, well, it's, it's really like strange in terms of corporate structure too, because if Roger Gordian's the CEO, he's very far removed from somebody like Max Blackburn that's running around, unless Max is his right hand man, which doesn't seem to be the case. Right, cause, unless because I there's like the part of the book. No, because there's so many other teams that do what Max Blackburn does. Right. He's. I mean, he's absolutely like a middle aged white man, Mary Sue, where they're like, oh, you know, we're gonna put in. Our character, our OC, and um, he's, like, kind of getting on in age, but he's still in really good shape, and he drives this really excellent car, and he has this beautiful wife who totally understands how devoted he is to his job, even though she gets frustrated sometimes, and, you know, he's the most important person in this company, but he's also a Vietnam veteran, and everyone loves him, and he's an upstanding moral character who just is, like, the most famous and important CEO just because he's a good guy because he never resorts to bad tactics it's it's very unbelievable and very ridiculous yeah, yeah that's a lot of bull it, he's like if 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 steve jobs at his peak was combined with like bill gates now where he's doing you know the bill gates foundation and doing all this charity work but then also combined with like james bond is, is roger <laughs> gordian <laughs> yeah so that's that's all happening in the u.s and then back in singapore Kristen shoes hiding with her sister because she doesn't know what to do after running away from max because he was trying to yell when she was running away when they were ambushed by the bad guys and he was trying to tell her who to contact but he got pulled away before he could say the name yeah, um, or, like, he's he was trying to tell her Pete Nemec, and I think she only heard Pete. So then later when Pete comes to find her, she's like, oh, yeah, he tried to tell me about some guy named Pete. Yeah, she, like, had a name but not a contact number or anything, so she just knows that she's supposed to get in touch with somebody. Yeah. She oh, couldn't and call up, like, and say, hey, is there a Pete on your staff somewhere? Right. <laughs> Or even call up Link and say, hey, uh, Max is in trouble. I'm here in Singapore hiding with the information that I stole from him for you, for him and you. Could you maybe help a sister out? 
she just like hides in her sister's house. Well, oh, yeah. at, at it first, would be trivial for her to just circumspectly ask, "Hi, I know Max Blackburn, and he's in some trouble. Why don't we call and get together sometime?" He did tell her, I think, like, "Wait for me, and I'll come find you." But if I don't, then try to call Pete. So I think at first she was kind of just waiting for him because he said he would come find her. But he didn't because he's dead. Honestly, I don't know why he just didn't get in the cab with her. Yeah. It was like this scene is supposed to be him running her. the, The people who are there to ambush them realize that he's called her on her cell phone to tell her to run. And so they take off after her when she's running towards the cab stand. So he takes off after them, somehow gets in front of them, is in front of them long enough to put her in a cab, give her all this stuff, this information, um, argue with the cabbie who doesn't want to drive her anywhere, and bribe him with American money. Yep. It took so long. (laughs) He reaches into his pocket, pulls out a wad of cash, and haggles with the guy. (laughs) Also, it it ends with, um, like, it would be the last time that Max ever saw Kirsten, which, since I, at this point, still thought that Max was the protagonist of the series, I thought that meant either that Kristen died, or that that was just him breaking up with her, because he already had established <laughs> that he was a dick who didn't actually super care about her. But actually, it was that he And it was established died. that he had hooked up with another female character in the last book and broke it off with her. Right. Um, so all that's going on, ruthless.com. Oh, <laughs> oh <my> God. <laughs> Funny every time. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, back in the U.S., uh, Marcus Kane has his, you know, hired muscle. Try to fuck with Gordian's plane in, like, the most arbitrary and not particularly effective way that doesn't really make any sense because they know he's going to be flying to DC for this bill signing because he's going to do a press conference afterwards. And so they sneak in after the plane's already been checked out for takeoff by distracting the guard and then do something with the landing gear. They just drained the hydraulic fluid. Yeah. It's, strange and so they're flying to Washington DC and the landing gear isn't coming down so he does all of these really bizarre maneuvers that I, a person who knows nothing about mechanics but has seen an episode of the West Wing where something similar happens, (laughs) could tell was not like a real thing that you would do in this situation in order to, you know, use magic to make the landing gear fall down and save the day. He did everything wrong in that section of the book. It, this, this was the part of the book that broke me. Just ruthlessly shattered my will Back to continue. <laughs> I, I, could, I had to stop right there, wrote down everything that was wrong with that section, and then went to bed. Because I just couldn't look at this book anymore after reading that section. Drove me up the wall. Yeah, there's, like, almost a full type page of notes that you shared about it. And I'm going to be honest, I skimmed that also because I don't care that much. <laughs> but I appreciate that you did. <laughs> yeah, I, I spent a decent amount of time with some pilots 
back when I lived in Alaska and got to go on a check ride. Nice. And I guess the number one thing that he never calls the, the tower to tell them, I have a problem. Never. Well, he's very masculine. I don't know if you noticed that, but men <laughs> don't like to ask for help. They would rather crash their planes. That's, yeah. <laughs> so bad. Oh, it hurts. It physically hurts. That section made me feel sick to my stomach. Gave me a headache. <laughs> I wish Marcus Kane would have just put some snakes on the plane instead. I, well, I especially love the sentence they had in there about, well, he couldn't, he couldn't uh, radio the tower because... He didn't think he had enough fuel to circle around to make another attempt at a landing, which is is an emergency in and of itself if you only have gas for one attempt at a landing. Right. I was going to say, I yes. felt like usually you got some extra. <laughs> yeah, you do. A lot. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a terrible, terrible section. It's true. Um, so when they actually get to D.C., they... The president signs the boring crypto bill that he hates and wishes it was the submarine bill and thinks that all these giant nerds are fucking so obsessed with it. And immediately afterwards, Gordian does his press conference where he announces that Uplink is breaking up into smaller companies and he's partnering with some other dude... And because of the way that it's breaking up, it's going to make a lot of money and the stock's going to go up. And for some reason that I don't understand, because I don't care about business or technology or stocks, that means that Monolith is in a lot of trouble now all of a sudden. And in his hotel room, Marcus Kane is real upset. Yeah, something went south with the way that he was trying to do his takeover. And as far as breaking up goes, the stock price would go up because... They sold off all their other stuff, and so they have a whole lot of cash. That's it. That's why. So why does that bother Marcus Kane? except that their, their rivals me once we... No, wait, wasn't that a thing where Marcus Kane was going to buy out the company? Yeah, but if he was doing that, then he would be buying stock up, and if the stock price went up and he was mad about that, that might be because he was shorting it? Mm. I don't know. I yeah, gripping action here. Guys. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is the thrilling. An entire chapter is dedicated to this. <laughs> I mean, the, the big pounding. short. The big short barely made this interesting to me by having Selena Gomez describe it to me, and I just I don't think that Tom Clancy's Ghostwriter has a chance without that. <laughs> So I guess after that, they realize, meanwhile, um, Pete Nemec and some other people have realized that Ma Max's body has washed up and uh, they're going to investigate his disappearance and figure out that um, he had been dating Kristen Chu and that she had information about them, about Monolith. Um, so he's trying to find her in Singapore, in America, uh, Gordian is telling all of his bros that, like, they have proof that Marcus Kane is bad, or they, they, they know that Marcus Kane is bad, and they know he did all these things, but they don't have proof yet, but some somehow they're going to bring him to court anyway, and 
they're semi-confident they're going to win even though they don't have proof yet. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And then some stuff happens I, I with mini discs. Well, but then uh, Pete found Kristen Chu, and she had been secretly recording meetings at Monolith by hiding a tape recorder in a plant, and so she had those. Yeah, so then then that ended up being the proof that fell into their lap and allowed them to know they could successfully prosecute him. Yeah. They didn't have that, that, though, until after the whole submarine presidential hostage-taking thing that didn't happen. Yeah, because that was like, they were so confident that they could get him, that they knew that he did it and they could get him. But there was a big point where it was like, oh, but we don't have any proof. And then... Out of the blue, Kristen Chu shows up and she's like, I bring you proof. And, like, the day is saved. But, like, Gordian was very confident that they were going to get him anyway, even before they got her, you know, talk boy recordings of all of the bad shit that apparently they just talked about in the office out in the open. Oh, okay. I missed that part. Well, I mean... Gordian is paying like dozens of of James Bonds, so I guess he just had confidence that somebody would turn something up, maybe. Oh yeah, do you want to comment on the Microsoft Blackwater division that apparently Uplink has? I mean, I mean, I guess I don't actually know for sure, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that most tech companies don't have their own, like, agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. working for them. (laughs) I mean, I think when you do corporate security, it mainly means that you are, like, working at a computer and filtering out viruses. And locking your doors and... Yeah, maybe, like, a night watchman. Yeah. Yeah, not Sword Team. Yeah, it's literally called Sword Team. Yep. (laughs) I can imagine you having, like, if you're, like, the the top-of-the-line tech company, having people who, you know, having, like, like how um, that guy who accidentally left the new iPhone in a bar one time who worked for Apple, like, they have all of these things in place so that you won't know about all of these new announcements until they're ready for you to know about them and things like that. But it's not James Bond with a gun, like showing up at your house and saying, if you tell anyone about the new iPhone, like I'm going to kill your dog. It's right. right. Conducting international raids on criminals, just totally extrajudiciously. PDMIC <laughs> leads a team to go shoot the main guy, bad guy in his house in Singapore with no governmental oversight. No judicial standing. And and Just these are the totally good vigilante guys. Justice. Yeah. These are the guy. good guys. Just goes in there with big ol' Americans swinging left and right. It's wild. Anyway, then the very end is that Marcus Kane stages his own suicide by paying somebody else to come shoot him. So that it looks like a murder, I guess. Don't forget he tells the guy explicitly to make a mess. Yeah. Yeah. What, I don't understand why do that. I, I, I think they get back at his wife. Oh, God. <laughs> like, screw that bitch. Make a mess. All right. Wham. Anyway, that's the end. 
yeah, it, it was very strange. I mean, I, I wonder if that comes back at all in Power Plays 3, or if that just seemed like a good ending. <laughs> I don't know. I never want to find out. Right, yeah, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so that's Ruthless.com, a book that I guess we did not actually fully understand. Uh, I want to reemphasize we did all actually read this. Like, yes. Yep. We read it and uh, some stuff happened. Uh, so let's move into our dramatic readings and maybe you can get a little sense of how you could read this book and still not understand what the president was doing with a submarine. Cause it's, uh, it's not very clear. <laughs> so we'll start off with a section where um, Max and Kristen first meet. and uh, the- Because something that we didn't, we, we briefly touched upon, I think without directly, we implied it without directly stating it, is that this book is filled with all of this Asian racism. And like, it, it's it's very strange and like, fetishy almost mm-hmm. it's just casually assuming these stereotypes about singapore and asians and everything about that side of the world yeah the author made no effort to research the culture he just eh, i watched kung fu that's good enough yeah, and also, like, this book was published in 1992, and we're going to hear Kristen Chu called an Oriental woman. Like 1998. Yeah, sorry, even later than that. Like, we were not, we were not doing that at that time. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I mean, by we, I guess I do not mean Tom Clancy's ghostwriter. He, he was doing that. Um, anyway, so this starts... Max is being sold a puppet by a street vendor, and Kristen Chu is for some reason helping the puppet vendor, even though she does not seem to actually be related. I think she just overheard this puppet exchange and had to get in on it. And (laughs) so we'll start off with Kristen describing the puppet, and uh, Kate will be Kristen, and Patrick will be Max, and I will be the narrator who is most closely allied with Max's point of view, but jumps around. I feel so dirty representing him right now. (laughs) It's Ganesha, son of Shiva. The voice was female and carried a musical British accent. Blackburn had turned in its direction to see an oriental woman of perhaps 30 or 35, a strikingly beautiful woman with a sweep of angle-cut black hair, slanted brown eyes, and skin that had been tanned the color of almonds and cream in the perpetual August of the tropics. Wearing summer khakis, a loose cotton blouse, and sandals, she was carrying a coach handbag over her shoulder, a bag he'd known must have cost more than the combined yearly income of everyone living in that village. Blackburn remembered immediately noticing that she had a magnificent body. Even through her baggy clothes, he'd been able to tell. It was the way she carried herself, he supposed. But he'd always had an eye for that sort of thing. One of your best assets in the field, he thought now. (laughs) 
Three months later, his face troubled, his inner voice edged with self-contempt. Sitting by the phone in his office, he couldn't remember whether des the desire to go to bed with her and the, the idea of convincing her to become a fly on Marcus Kane's wall had been linked from the very beginning. Oh, he'd felt a superficial attraction right away. But when had he ever met a good-looking woman he hadn't thought would be fun in the sack? Actually, wanting her was another story, though. Wanting her and then deciding he could use her. He thought suddenly and unexpectedly about Megan Breen and how different it had been when they were together. Not better, but easier, without guilt. They had liked each other and felt lonely and isolated in the bleak Russian winter. Neither had held expectations of their affair going beyond what it was. There had been no secret agendas behind them, nothing to hide. It had been upfront and without manipulation, the lines and limits clearly defined. Of course, he hadn't known who she worked for until at least five minutes into their conversation, which had begun with them chatting about the puppet. A god representing man's animal nature. He'd looked at her and smiled. Thanks. Sounds like the perfect mascot for my office. You'll see his image on a lot of pendants and charms. They're worn as protection against evil and bad fortune. Better than perfect, he said. <laughs> Think I'll hang him right over my phone for when the boss calls to check up on me. Her amused grin broadened. I can tell you the asking price is very fair. A lot of time goes into making these Wayang Kalut puppets, at least the quality ones. This man's even ha this man's even have bison horn rods. Is that also supposed to be good luck? Not if you're a bison, I suppose. But it shows quality workmanship. Most of the puppets they sell to tourists have wooden rods. Blackburn looked into her dark brown eyes and realized she was studying his own. That phrase you used, Wang, Wayang. Kulit. Roughly translated, it means shadow play, an enactment of the Hindu epics using maybe a hundred puppets and a full orchestra. It's an ancient form of entertainment in this part of the world and a way of keeping certain traditions alive. These days, though, Nintendo beats it hands down for popularity. Same old, same old, I guess. Maybe so, but it's an awful shame. The puppet masters, they're called Dayangs, spend years and years learning their craft. They make their puppets by hand and provide the voices and movements of all the characters. During a show, the puppets are manipulated behind a white cotton screen with oil lamps throwing their shadows onto it. When the lighting's done right, the shadows are colored, you know. The audience is split into two groups so that one group sees the shadow play in front of the screen and the other group sees the puppet show and the musicians behind it. Representing the separation between the material and the sublime, the self and the godhead, he said. Worldly illusion and ultimate truth. Atman and Brahman, she said, giving him a look that was comprised of equal parts surprise and curiosity. I see you're familiar with Hindu philosophy. The Beatles school, anyway. I must have worn out five copies of George Harrison's All Things Must Pass when I was in college. Just gross. It's all gross. Dot com. <laughs> and I apologize in advance for any of those words that I mispronounced. I 
did not reread that section before I read it and then panicked when I got to words in other languages. That's fair. Yeah. He, he just gives her the up and down immediately. She walks up and he doesn't hear a single thing she says. She's like, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He picks up on her conversation like halfway through once he realizes like, oh yeah, she's talking. <laughs> yeah. And it's even grosser. Like throughout, we keep coming back to her and she loves him. And even at the very end, she visits his grave and she loves him and he treats her like garbage. I mean, I guess he does technically save her life, but garbage. Yeah. yeah, the very end of the book has the Atman and Brahman words used again, and I didn't connect the dots as to what they really mean and what the author was trying to say. Just that, oh, they had this conversation, and then she's like, when we first met, and also, then the ends. Also, I mean, I don't necessarily want to stereotype, because obviously, you know, you can your name doesn't necessarily link to your religion, but mostly it would be, like, South Indians living in Singapore who would be Hindu, and if her name is Kristen Chu, I'm guessing she's, like, Chinese Singaporean, and, like, I mean, she probably would be familiar with Hindu mythology, but it it doesn't seem likely that it would be the thing that she would most connect to, like she does back at the end. For as strongly this book hues to racial stereotypes, I, I have a hard time believing that the author would be so progressive as to cross cultural boundaries like that. Yeah, it, it seems to me like it was probably more of an oversight than like a progressive like, oh yeah, she converted, like whatever. <laughs> Um, anyway, okay, so we'll move on to our next dramatic reading, which is not dramatic at all. It is a thrilling corporate board meeting of Uplink. There are a lot of characters portrayed, so we're actually not going to divide up a person to a character. We're just going to kind of pass the baton of reading paragraph by paragraph. Hopefully it won't be too confusing as a listener, but if you are confused, don't worry about it, because so are we. Yeah, just think back to, like, your third grade reading class where the teacher made everyone go around the room and read one paragraph of your uh, textbook. Yeah, and, like, if you if a character's introduced and you don't know who they are, don't worry about it. I don't either. Just <laughs> I, I don't remember half of the characters mentioned in this part of the book. Yep. Nope. Yeah. But our, our first one, um, I'll start you off with our dearly beloved Roger Gordian. Okay, let's get rolling, Gordian said now, the intense gravity of his manner hardly lifted by a cordial smile. First, I want to thank all of you for coming. Second, I want to be clear about how much I appreciate why you've come. It obviously would have been easy to remain silent and invisible. Our unified stance on the encryption issue has already caused most of us considerable problems, and it's a fair bet they're going to increase exponentially in the next couple of days. He paused and glanced over at Megan Breen. The credit for putting together the statement I'll be reading at our press conference goes entirely to Ms. Breen. Assuming everyone received a copy by fax and has gotten a chance to review it, I believe you'll agree she's done a magnificent job of boiling our concerns down to media-friendly soundbites. Absolutely, Sobel said, looking up at her from the sheet of paper he'd been scanning. Megan, if I thought I had any chance of poaching you from Roger, 
I'd make an offer right now and be off, never mind the order of the day. Megan smiled at the compliment. A tall, slender woman of 36, with huge sapphire eyes and shoulder-length auburn hair, currently worn in a French braid. She looked crisp and able in her violet blouse and a gray designer blazer and slacks combination. Being that he was a heterosexual male, with what he regarded as a good eye for attractive women, Nordstrom had long ago observed that she was a knockout. Being that she was a professional colleague, Nordstrom recognized it wasn't politically correct to give that observation at any airtime, and had wisely kept it to himself. Although he reasonably suspected that many of her other male business associates, a couple of whom were in the room at that very moment, shared his atavistic view. Or hadn't there been a jag of envy in Skull's voice when he'd conveyed the rumors about Meg and Max Blackburn heating up the Russian winter last year? While Roger may have put it a bit too flatteringly, I did want to make our comments brief and straightforward, Megan was saying. Still, I hope none of you will hesitate to let me know if there's anything that should be added, removed, or clarified. We have 48 hours before President Ballard signs the Morrison-Fiore bill, which gives me ample opportunity to fine-tune any part of the statement that needs it. I think, though, that our message really is a simple one. Looks that way from where I sit, too, Vince Skull growled. His fringe of hair in a careless uproar around a shiny expanse of scalp, a frown creasing his bulldog face, Vince appeared to be on the verge of an angry eruption. This was nothing unusual to people who had been exposed to him for any length of time, since his total range of emotions ordinarily seemed as narrow as it was volatile, with splintery annoyance being the lowest gradient on the scale, blistering fury the highest, and radical fluctuations between these extremes occurring once every hour or so. We put the crypto out overseas without restrictions, and presto, every bad guy with a computer link can buy himself electronic communications that law enforcement can't crack. If Ballard's got the high-wattage brain that they say he does, he ought to be able to understand that without any problem. I mean, it's pretty damn obvious. Isn't it, Bob? The FBI man shrugged. In all fairness, there are gray areas. A valid argument that the bad guys have already gotten their hands on the technology through internet dissemination. Not to mention American companies who've circumvented the law by selling crypto abroad through their international subsidies subsidiaries. Follow that line of reasoning, and you have to ask whether it pays to restrict our software manufacturers from competing on the foreign market. Can't put the genie back in the bottle, so put him back to work instead. That's the same crap I've been hearing for years from people who want to legalize dope. And let me tell you, it doesn't make any sense. Wait, okay, so see, I think Uplink does want stronger cryptography... Unless they change their mind later. Maybe. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> what matters is that they won. Ruthlessly. Dot com. <laughs> <laughs> and our last dramatic reading is real dumb. And it's... <laughs> You know what, you'll get it. It doesn't need any more introduction than that, except to say that Patrick will be reading the role of Pete Nemec, I will be reading Noriko Cousins, and Kate will be our trusty narrator. 
Just as Alexander the Great severed the Gordian knot with a swift and decisive whack of his sword, thereby gaining the favorable auspices of Zeus, so had Megan Breen and Pete Nemec concluded early on in Uplink's worldwide expansion that it needed a similar rapid response capability, a security team that could cope with crisis situations where both regional stability and the company's interests were threatened sharing intelligence with host governments, using scenario planning techniques to diffuse most problems before they hatched, and prepared to counter violence with forceful action of its own, should that option be unavoidable. Since their employer had been cooperative, cooperative enough to have a surname and bold disposition that invited comparison with the legendary Macedonian, they had dubbed this arm of their far-flung organization, S.W.O.R.D., and because of Nemec's access to the generally inaccessible society of law enforcement professionals, he'd started out a beat cop in South Philly, moved to Boston in mid-career to garner an illustrious and still unmatched record of closed cases for the BPD's elite major crimes unit, and after yet a second geographical move, wound up chief of special operations in Chicago, all in less than two decades, they were able to lure the cream of the crop away from police and intelligence agencies around the world, staffing their pet project with men and women who were equal to any job. One of the impressive young Turks with Sword's New York branch, Nuriko Cousins, had been handpicked a member of Nemec's team during the codename Politica investigation of about a year back, and was credited with being a major reason for its speedy progress and successful revolution. After her section chief, Tony Barnhard, took early retirement due to injuries sustained during that probe, she had been a natural to fill his post, which, in keeping with Pete Nemec's loose-reined executive approach, allowed her to run her show with very little topside interference. She rarely heard from Nemec unless it was important. And so, when she got back from lunch this cool autumn afternoon to find three phone memos from him on her desk spindle, every one of them received during the hour she'd been out of the office, it struck her as safe to interpret the repeated calls as a sign that a matter of some urgency had cropped up. Hustling over to the phone, she punched in his direct number without pausing to unzip her jacket. He answered at once. Nori, I've been anxious to hear from you. No kidding, she thought. Is everything all right, sir? I haven't decided yet, he said. Look, I'm not going to twist your arm, but I'd like you to come out to San Jose and would rather not explain why until you get here. Surprised as Nariko was, she only needed a moment to decide. The personal and professional allegiance she felt towards her boss made it e easy. When? Soon as possible. Tonight, tomorrow... Tomorrow, if you haven't got anything else that's pressing. Nothing that my assistant can't handle. It's been quiet in these parts lately, knock wood. Good. He paused for several seconds, the prolonged silence somehow conveying the gravity of his mood, even more than his tone of voice. I know this is asking a lot, and apologize for being mysterious, but we really ought to talk in person. It's no problem. Let me get off the phone and start making arrangements. I'll get back to you as soon as they're set. Later, then. Another pause. And Nori? Yes? I suggest you pack plenty of lightweight clothes. We might be doing some traveling. She rubbed the back of her neck, thinking that one over. 
curiouser and curiouser. Will do, sir. By the way, if you're going to be traveling a lot, you don't want to bring a lot of lightweight clothes. You want to bring a little bit of lightweight clothes. Pete. (laughs) (laughs) I also like that for a tech company in 1998, she doesn't have a cell phone or a pager. Or car phone. Yeah. (laughs) No. What? No. Maybe he just sends emails from ruthless.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, if we bought the ruthless.com domain name, we could all have emails at ruthless.com. Wow. <laughs> That's the best. Dibs at sword. Sword at ruthless.com. I'm going to be Gordian at Ruthless.com. And everybody will love me. I'm glad this turned into our Ruthless.com role play. (laughs) For real, we got to put in that request to find out how much Ruthless.com costs before we release this episode. Because then once everybody hears us, they're going to be like, that is smart. We should all all try to buy (laughs) Ruthless.com. But it'll be too late by then. Will or, be a gold rush. Or it'll be too expensive and you can have it. <laughs> uh, okay. So that's that's our dramatic readings. You can you get it. You get it. This book is garbage. Uh, let's play some Would You Rather. Uh, I'll ask Would You Rather find a future partner on ChristianMingle.com or Ruthless.com. Which is hard because Ruthless.com is not actually a thing in the book. Um, (laughs) if we purchase it, maybe it could become a dating site in addition to our email host and whatever. (laughs) Soon to be available on your very own computer. Or possibly when it was a porn site, I guess. Well, as tempting as all of those options for Ruthless.com are, I, of course, have to go with our beloved sponsor, ChristianMingle.com. Naturally. And same. For the sake of adventure, I'll go with Ruthless.com, just because, I don't know, there's a lot of potential there. Absolutely. And we're glad that you Why not? That. Why not? <laughs> all right. Next up, would you rather have dinner with Marcus Kane or go flying with Roger Gordian? Um, I think I'm going to have to go with flying with Roger Gordian because even though he's going to do like weird, crazy shit for whatever reason, because he is the perfect Mary Sue middle-aged white man protagonist, I know that nothing bad will actually happen to him. And if he's flying the plane, I'll be sitting in the back and I don't necessarily have to talk to him. Mm. That's solid. Uh, That's a tough one. I... I think I would have dinner with Marcus Kane just because I could be rude to him and, yeah, eat all his food because he would be eating very fancy food. And I, I do like good food. And I would just ignore him all dinner long. Well, I'm going to go with Marcus Kane also because we had at least a few chapters about him and his mistress and he was always giving her really fancy gifts. So I would like a chance at maybe getting a fancy gift. It's true. And That's pro- fair. I mean, probably some good food. I'm guessing it's not very vegetarian friendly, but probably some fancy desserts at the very least. 
So I'll take that. Oh, yeah. I'm in there for the, the noshing. Yeah. Um, and then last up, uh, oh, this is something we did not actually get into. <laughs> the the Asian pirate who accidentally kills Max Blackburn. To get himself revved up, he gives himself acupuncture in the hands, but with heated needles. And that, like, kind of makes him Hulk smash or whatever. So, in that nature, would you rather read this book again or have needles repeatedly inserted into your hands. This is really tough. <laughs> I mean, I have some friends who really swear by acupuncture. It's really helped them with various ailments. I don't know what putting them into your hands would necessarily do. I mean, I guess besides make you Hulk smash, which isn't necessarily great for my day-to-day life. Can I ask a clarifying question? Mm-hmm. Are they the heated needles applied by the Ziang guy or an acupuncture needle by an acupuncturist? Uh, no, it would be by that guy. But I, I mean, uh, I, I thought they were acupuncture needles just done by him and heated, which you don't normally do for acupuncture. Oh, see, I just thought it was like him being like, I'm, I'm badass and poking needles in my hand. Yeah, he like skewers his knuckles and clenches his fist and blood runs out. Yeah, like, in my understanding, there's normally not a lot of blood in acupuncture. Yeah. Because there's definitely a part where he puts a needle all the way through one of his fingers. Yeah, that was freaky. There's a lot of really, like, awful torture body horror in this book. Yeah. Well, I guess I'd read the book again, because I obviously didn't understand it the first time, so... Maybe I could gather a little bit more on a second read-through. I guess I'd also read the book again, although I am tempted by the hot needles. Because <laughs> that would be over with pretty quickly. I, I can handle another go-through-a-trashy book. I don't want my hands damaged. All right. So let's put that on the cover of this book. Uh, better than <laughs> having your hands stabbed with needles. <laughs> oh, probably That's the new sharp stick in your eye right there <laughs> all right let's move on to our reader's advisory where we'll suggest some books to read instead of or in addition to ruthless.com and uh, patrick we'll let you go ahead and start and maybe tell us about some of tom clancy's better offerings since i haven't read any of his other books Absolutely. There's actually some really good stuff. Uh, first and foremost is The Hunt for Red October, which is Tom Clancy's first major bestseller and a classic, classic uh, Cold War era submarine story. It's it's really good. After that, Red Storm Rising is a replay of uh, a Cold War conflict between the U.S. and Russia. Uh, and Rainbow Six is a Clancy book about a counterterrorism unit that is full of action, interesting characters, and a, a sensible plot. A kind of dumb plot, but it still makes sense in Some, inside its own world. Something this like book this. was lacking, yeah. Yes, this one just made no sense whatsoever. Sounds good. Um, I've got and some... it, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was also going to say, because this book does mention cryptography, but doesn't actually have anything in it about cryptography. If you are interested in reading about some of that stuff, I would recommend The Code Book by Simon Singh, 
which will walk you through a very, very comprehensible and interesting uh, history of cryptography and codes, and also The Puzzle Palace by James Bamford, which has to do with the NSA, the National Security Agency, also known as No Such Agency, and goes through the history of that thing, which is very fascinating. All right, I've got a, I've got some reader's advisory for the characters of this book. It seems to me like most of the women in this book are very competent at their jobs, but not taken the most seriously. And so I would suggest that those ladies all read Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. As I would suggest that uh, many ladies should read, especially if you've only gathered your opinions about it by reading think pieces about it and not the actual book. I have two pieces of reader's advisory that are actually watcher's advisory. <laughs> and, um, you know, if you like, I guess, like code breaking and spies and things, which are only vaguely related to this book, you should watch um, the Bletchley Circle TV series from the BBC. It's pretty good. And also you should just watch the TV show Reboot, which I think is on Netflix now or Hulu or something. And I think there's going to be a revival of it, actually. But anyway, just watch Reboot. Is that the uh, CGI animated show? Yes. I love that show. I remember right? that so well. Definitely watch that. Yes. I know what I'm doing after this. <laughs> My other TV recommendation would be the show Silicon Valley, which is not directly related, but it's about computers and business, and it's super funny on purpose, so I'd recommend that. And uh, also, as usual with most of these thriller books that we read, I would say watch a James Bond movie. They're also stupid and don't make a lot of sense, but they're a lot more enjoyable than this. You know, speaking of thrillers, too, another great thriller is The Day of the Jackal by Frederick Forsyth, and it's everything a thriller should be. Such as thrilling? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. All right, well, we'll have um, all of these and some more up on our website, readers, or, uh, what is our website? <laughs> WorstBestSellers.com. WorstBestSellers.com. <laughs> RuthlessBestSellers.com. <laughs> and then also Ruthless.com is going to redirect to here. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, all right, I'm 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 uh, gonna type in right now the the, the bid. I want to see. <laughs> okay, uh, we have a website. It's on the internet. I don't know how it all works. <laughs> so, <laughs> we'll move on to our candy pairing, where we'll suggest uh, some candy to accompany this book, just like. Marcus Kane might have some fine wine to accompany all his fancy meals. And my candy pairing is actually just the game Candy Crush, because you, you cannot eat this book. You will be hungry. I, I went uh, looking for what kind of candies they have in Singapore, and I came across durian fruit cream puffs. Ooh. Which, yeah, I think stinky. that a stinky, terrible tasting fruit would be perfect to go with a stinky, terrible <laughs> reading book. And you probably already did more research than the authors of this book. Yeah. <laughs> My candy pairing is an actual microchip that's maybe packaged as like a candy microchip or something. Like in the 90s when there were all sorts of like computer candy shit. Um, but it is a real microchip. Like if it got stuck inside your bubble beeper. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but yeah, as I was saying, it's it's actually just a real microchip, and you eat it anyway, and it's terrible, and it hurts your mouth and your teeth, and you wonder why you wasted your time on this. Great. That's horrifying. <laughs> and you could probably get a good lawsuit out of it. And probably have like a, a really sexy lady lawyer represent you. That's how you get the CIA to beam radio signals into your teeth. <laughs> All right, uh, now we'll play our favorite game, The Rock, Paper, Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book, and Patrick will choose which one would most enhance the book, or choose paper, which would be to leave it as is. If Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in this book, he would be sent in Max's place to get the dirt on Marcus Kane from Kristen Chu. And he'd be better at his job than Max is. So instead of getting ambushed when he's going to meet up with Kristen and get all of the blackmail materials, he would manage to get Kristen and her evidence, which she collected because of good morals, not because of being honeypotted by some asshole, out of the country long before they're ambushed. He'd take their evidence to Gordian and his dudes, and they'd be able to take down Marcus Kane much more efficiently, thus avoiding the break-in, the multiple murders, the totally pointless plane sabotage, and the whole sub-fiasco. And at the end, The Rock would be given some kind of medal and a holiday honoring him. He should already have a holiday. First, I mean, agreed. He's pretty fantastic. But... All right, anyway, um, if Wolverine were in this book, he is prone to random Asian adventures between his team books, so he just would happen to be on the street in Singapore when Kristen and Matt get, Max get ambushed. And because he's, he's an okay guy, he would intercede and save them both. So Max would never get injected with heroin slash killed, and Kristen would never have to go on the lamb to her sister's house. Um, so Max would live to keep doing whatever corporate espionage thing he's about. But meanwhile, uh, Wolverine is impressed by Kristen's moxie and her talk boy techniques, and he convinces her to leave that chump Max behind, who's obviously just using her, and that she should go take a job with S.H.I.E.L.D. instead. Uh, she does so, and when she's there, she also upgrades boyfriends from Max to Sam Wilson, who will treat her right, unlike Max. Of course he would. I wish Sam Wilson was my boyfriend. I mean, I'm a lesbian, and I wish Sam Wilson was my boyfriend. Ah, uh, Sam Wilson. <laughs> oh, anyway. This this was a little tough one, because I, I think that there are fewer needless deaths with The Rock. However, having the Wolverine just doing his thing to the gangsters kind of gives them their just desserts. And Kristen does get a lot more out of that scenario, and she really deserves more than what this book gave her. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with Wolverine. Yes. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Well, thank you, Patrick. And, of course, there are no losers in the Rock Paper Snicked, except for, I guess, nope. those gangsters who get stabbed to death. But, yeah. <laughs> it's oh, it's going to be a mess. <laughs> Way worse than the needle play that they're already into. <laughs> <laughs> honestly that's way more action than this book really had right all right so dull. it, it really so was dull. Yeah, yeah just yeah. just in this five minutes of rock paper snicked it had more action scenes for sure oh yeah 
All right. Well, uh, what is the moral of the story, would you guys say? I would say the moral of the story is if you're a rich white man with a strong moral compass, you don't have to worry about proving your case. Evidence will just magically fall into your possession exactly when you need it. Leave your cryptography subkeys with Japan. That way they can water your houseplant when the U.S. goes on vacation. Uh, for me, the moral was I don't really understand how cryptography works, so maybe I should have stronger passwords for my things. That's actually <laughs> really good advice. <laughs> uh, I'll be updating those shortly. Please don't hack me. <laughs> <laughs> Enter password, ruthless.com. Uh, no, it has to have a symbol in it. No, wait, the dot is the symbol. Yeah. <laughs> Never numbers. mind. Never mind. That's, oh, yeah. Uh, ruthless.com, but with an L. I mean, with a one instead of an L. <laughs> That's pretty good, right? It's the most secure password I've ever heard. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> so let's move on to Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will give his thoughts about the book. You know, Duarte, I think you have made a really solid point. Uh, Marcus Kane was this really over-the-top villain, and I think he would have been improved if he had a cat that he could just sort of pet while he pronounced his schemes. That's James Stavros Blofeld territory. I have to compliment Duarte's taste. Mm -hmm. I'm just concerned who would take care of the cat after his staged suicide murder. Well, his one of his mistresses, maybe. Maybe, yeah, that's a good, good point. And cats are just waiting for you to die so they can eat you, so maybe it would be a boon for the cat. Yeah, the cat could probably eat oh. some chunks out of Marcus. He'd be okay. The cat, yeah. not Marcus. <laughs> one ew and two yeah that's i'm okay with that <laughs> all right well as ever thank you Duarte. and now do any humans have any closing thoughts about this book no this book was terrible like it was just i, I just didn't understand it and it was boring and i didn't get it and like it's maybe technically and by technically i mean like in a technical sense not the worst book we've ever read, but, like, Jesus Christ, what a waste of my time. It was boring.com. <laughs> I guess I would say, if this series is bad, the Ruthless.com series, or whatever. This power, power plays. plays. Power plays. The Netforce books are equally trashy. I picked one up some years ago and started reading it, and... Unlike this book, I didn't have a reason to finish it, and hmm. I quit. Maybe a third to a half of the way in. It's terrible. Well, that's that was probably a good life choice. All right. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, you can follow us as a podcast on Twitter. Uh, we are Worst Bestsellers with no S, because uh, that S actually had to go to Ruthless.com. It's got two S's in it. <laughs> They needed it. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook at The Worst Bestsellers, spelled like a normal person would spell it. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and or Stitcher. And if you do, please uh, rate and review us on those things. 
if you don't, unfortunately, we'll have to send our tech company super spy military agents after you in order to convince you to write those reviews. <laughs> like, you should definitely do it anyway, because when you write reviews, it pops us up in the charts and makes it easier for other people to find us. And then those people will know not to read Ruthless.com. Yes. See, you're doing a public service. Uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter at Renata Snacks. You can follow me personally on Twitter at 14across. Probably you can visit Ruthless.com for, for some reason. <laughs> we'll see. Soon to be arriving on your computer. Uh, oh, God. Let's buy it and just put up uh, an under construction GIF. Oh, I'm going to be so mad if it turns out that Ruthless.com is too expensive to buy. (laughs) So mad, because we have so many good ideas for it. (laughs) I'll I'll chip in, guys. Just let me know if you need a little extra. Yeah. (laughs) More than happy to help out with this endeavor. Yeah, either check out Ruthless.com or Kickstarter.com slash Ruthless.com. God. <laughs> One of those things is definitely going to work. <laughs> uh, guys, if you are still listening to this podcast at this time, you'll probably be back in two weeks when we read X-Men colon Executioner's Song by Scott Lobdell and Peter David. Uh, we'll be here. Yup. <laughs> You didn't get enough of the 90s, because this is a real nice slice of the 90s. Yeah. I'll tell you right now. (laughs) I'm looking forward to hearing it. A slice that was cut with Wolverine's claws. (laughs) (laughs) And then eaten off of his claws, because that's always comical. It's, oh, it's the best. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Goodbye. Good night. (laughs) Good luck. Goodbye. is the bomb.com we love her i 100% think becca is the hero of this podcast becca is a saint she is the best like you couldn't ask for like a better human being than becca i 100% agree sorry we are really dumb real dumb